All right, everybody. It is Wednesday, January 4th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news, or at least we try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, this week is always a rough week to try to get like plugged back in to like working and concentrating. <laughs> and I'm, str- I have to be honest with you, I'm struggling right now. Well, so the best is that I messaged you last night and I'm like, for some reason, your stories are not showing up on my, on my Instagram <laughs> account. What is going on? And you're like, Jill, I I'm taking a break. Leave me, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> and I knew you were taking a couple of days off, but I, I was actually going cause I wanted to see what you were posting about, um, a couple of stories. Yeah. And Bubkiss. It was just it was, so funny. Yeah, we took a week off the podcast. And believe it or not, I was like, I need for my own mental health to take a week off the Instagram feed because it's, a, you know, uh, we've got into a 24-7 thing with all these stories. And so you you definitely, when you wrote that, like you, you tapped into my <laughs> guilt. I'm like, yes, Jill, I took a few days off and I feel so guilty about it. I but- didn't mean to. I really didn't mean to. And when and I, I actually felt bad about it because I, I, I really just wanted to make sure nothing was wrong with my algorithm or something right. and that right. you just they- weren't showing up anymore. Well, alas, for now, it appears the algorithm is good to go. Uh, Plugged back in this morning uh, and uh, got a lot of nice notes from a number of our listeners and the community on uh, on Instagram saying, we missed you. It's good to have you back. I agree with that. Here, here. Okay, now, though, let's get to some of the news. We have the latest on the NFL player who collapsed during Monday Night Football in D.C. Still no speaker, three votes and no success for Kevin McCarthy. What happens next? Sam Bankman-Fried pleads not guilty. A close call for the U.S. power grid during the holidays. One company's plan to eliminate unnecessary meetings. Actor Benedict Cumberbatch potentially on the line for millions in slave reparations. And the 10 words one university says we should all try to give up in 2023. So, Mosh, moving forward, I hope this podcast can be the GOAT. But if not, it is what it is. I promise no quiet quitting on my part. It will pose a quandary for some people that I know. uh, And we will go through all 10 expressions later in this podcast. Okay, uh, let's get started. Will the fourth time be a charm for Republican leader Kevin McCarthy? He failed in marathon voting three separate rounds on Tuesday to become House Speaker. That is a historic defeat with no clear way out as House Republicans dug in for a long, messy start for the new Congress. So McCarthy needs 218 votes. He got 203 votes in the first two rounds and then 202 votes in the third round with between 19 to 20 fellow Republicans voting against him. And that actually put him behind Democrat Hakeem Jeffries in the Republican-controlled chamber although Jeffries is maxed out with 212 Democrats. So after those three failed votes, the House adjourned for the day. They say they're going to be back Wednesday at noon. So what happens next? McCarthy has previously pledged a battle on the floor. He said he'll he'll let it go for as long as it takes to overcome the right flank fellow Republicans who are just simply refusing to vote for him. It's kind of like a game of chicken here, uh, Mosh. The question is, will McCarthy just keep forcing votes or will he move aside for somebody else? Uh, Either way, he is the first House Speaker nominee in 100 years to fail to win the gavel with his party in the majority. And I will say uh, the one caveat is that we are recording this on Tuesday night. 
Um, the last we both checked, the Republicans had just ordered some pizza. They were gearing yes. up for a, a long night of, of negotiations. So this is where things stand as of this recording. Yeah, anything can happen behind the scenes between, um, you know, overnight uh, ahead of noon on Wednesday. Will he wear them out? Will he insist on going several more rounds? Or will he see writing on the wall here? I mean, it was notable, Jill, uh, in that third round of voting, he lost a vote, right? So he had 20 Republicans voting against him. He could only stand to lose four. So he has to somehow convince 16 of them to come back into the fold for him. So it's not looking very good. And this is historic. You know, you mentioned he's the first nominee in 100 years to fail to win the gavel uh, in the first round of vote. This is supposed to be the easy part. Jill, you know, they come in, you vote for the speaker, and then you get down to business, you do committee assignments, nothing can get done in Congress until they select the speaker. And you have to go back to 1923, there were nine votes that time. And then back in 1856, this is kind of the height uh, ahead of the Civil War, the height of the uh, anti slavery, pro slavery movement, it actually took them two months and 133 rounds of voting before they pick the speaker. I do not think we will get there, at least let's hope not. But this is really bad optics for the Republicans. Uh, a number of them really frustrated here. A terrible way to start uh, with their new House majority. You know, they made part of their campaign uh, in the midterms to kick the Democrats out, saying we will accomplish things, we will get to oversight, we're gonna get straight to business. Uh, this is effectively chaos for them, at least for now. Um, and this is really a personality battle, an ego battle for many of the Republicans voting against him. They just don't like him. Uh, and they've been asking for concessions. Uh, and he's given a whole bunch of concessions. We discussed them on yesterday's podcast. For some, he's just not conservative enough. Uh, it, the, the, a number of these Republicans, Jill, they call them the chaos caucus. Like literally, they just want to upend business as usual. They want to drain the swamp. Matt Gates is one of them. He's a Republican from Florida. He was quoted as saying, if you want to drain the swamp, you can't put the biggest alligator in control of the exercise. The alligator, in this case, apparently being Kevin McCarthy. So he's taking glee in this, taking joy in this, uh, even when some Republicans are telling the Gateses and some of these, you know, basically a little over a dozen Republicans that you're messing things up. And they're like, you know what? We came to Washington to mess things up. Um, and that's sort of where things stand as we record this on Tuesday night. Jill, I was flipping between the uh, cable channels, trying to watch the various votes and how it all went down, who they had as analysts. It was probably a five or six hour exercise on uh, Tuesday. Did you catch any of the coverage? I did, Mosh. Uh, a couple of things stood out to me. For one, Pete Aguilar, who is the congressman, he's from California, Democrat. He was basically the one nominating Hakeem Jeffries on the Democratic side. They, The Democrats were gleeful. I mean, you could tell there was like this joy that they had. Um, even his speech, he was he quoted Biggie. He said, Hakeem Jeffries is spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. That's his Jill, motto. Literally, some Democrats brought popcorn to the floor of the House. Like they brought literal popcorn to watch this all go down. Which is amazing because it, it that is sort of what it felt like. Um, and look, at the, it's an exciting day. You've you've got all of these Congress members. They've a lot of them brought kids. Um, there's a lot of pomp. And, and speaking of the kids, there was definitely a few crying babies on the floor because I was watching and my son was sleeping or I was hoping that he was sleeping. And I kept hearing like a, a 
crying baby from somewhere. So I'm thinking, is is he up? Like, what is going on? So I'd have to lower the TV, and then I'm like, oh, okay. I think it, I think there's just a baby crying. You know, on yeah, the it's house a ceremonial floor. day, ceremonial <laughs> day where people bring their family members, they bring their kids, they bring their grandkids uh, to watch them take the oath of office. By the way, Jill, uh, small matter, but not so small matter. All the new members of Congress, they're still officially congressmen elect or congress uh, women elect because you first have to elect the speaker to literally even take the oath. So literally everything is stopped in motion here. And then you also had George Santos, um, the congressman-elect from Long Island, the one who basically made up his entire bio. It was like nobody wanted to go near him, but there were tons of pictures of him yawning, looking at his phone, uh, all very bizarre, of course. Uh, But Moj, back to just this election for speaker right now. If McCarthy says, "Okay, it's very clear I'm not going to get enough votes. I want to kind of put an end to the misery here. Who are the other names who could potentially become the next speaker? So that's the thing, Jill, the the people in, in again, we're talking about about a dozen or actually it ended up being about 19 or 20 members of Congress, Republicans who don't want uh, McCarthy to be speaker. Uh, they don't have another person that they necessarily uh, love or someone who they know can get the 218 votes you need to be speaker. So there's a few names that are being thrown about, uh, and likely they'll you know continue to. You might hear headlines from them overnight into the early morning uh, as you're listening to this on Wednesday. Steve Scalise, he is McCarthy's number two. His name is thrown about, and again, it's a personality thing for some of these Republicans who don't like McCarthy. They're like, it's not that Scalise would rule differently or has many different opinions, but you have Scalise. But will Scalise be enough for them? Scalise is is similar to McCarthy. Will he be right enough for these hardliners? That's one name. Then you might have seen in the second vote and the third round of voting, Jim Jordan from Ohio. Uh, Incidentally, he's a McCarthy supporter. Uh, He is seen to the right of McCarthy uh, on a number of matters. But will Jordan be able to pick up enough moderate Republicans. So you sort of have this issue with whatever issue the the right had with McCarthy, they're going to have with some others. And then the people that they like, the Chip Roy's, the Jim Jordan's, uh, will the moderate uh, Republicans have an issue with them? So they're going to need to come to some sort of consensus. You saw this happen last time, more than 20 years ago in the 90s, when they pushed out Newt Gingrich. Again, many people just didn't like Newt Gingrich, the Republican caucus. They pushed him out without any idea of who they would get. They ended up getting a guy named Bob Livingston. He turned out to be uh, having his own affair, which was terrible during the Clinton era. So they pushed him out. And then they went to Denny Hastert, who nobody ever heard of before. So we, you might see a name come out of here to be Speaker of the House that you've never heard of before, at least unless you really uh, immerse yourself in Washington politics. And something to keep in mind, Jill, Speaker of the House, no small job. You know, you, you literally are the party's leader in the House. You're determining what gets voted on. You're the administrative head. You're determining who's on the committees. Uh, who has authority, what to do with George Santos, for instance. And then constitutionally, you're second in line for the presidency. So if something was to happen to Biden and Kamala Harris, Speaker of the House, they become president. So it's not an insignificant matter. Uh, And one other thing I want to say, this does go to show you the difficulty uh, that uh, Pelosi dealt with in the last Congress. She had a, a similar majority to what McCarthy would ostensibly be inheriting as Speaker here. She had to deal with the AOC's and the Elon Omars of the world, and a handful of them could get together and block any legislation, and she had to manage that caucus. And so now you see this on the right, same size majority, about a five-seat majority, managing their right flank and how difficult it is. 
Okay, now to a follow-up on a story that we told you about yesterday. Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, remains in critical condition after suffering cardiac arrest mid-game Monday night against the Cincinnati Bengals. The NFL says that game will not resume this week. There has been no decision on, on whether they'll continue playing it at a later date. Hamlin collapsed shortly after he tackled Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Higgins' right shoulder hit Hamlin in the chest. But it it didn't look that different from other hits that you tend to see in football. After the tackle, though, Hamlin, he quickly got up. He was on his feet for about two, three seconds and then abruptly collapsed. There was CPR administered for many minutes. The Bills says that his heartbeat was restored while he was on the field, but he is now still sedated and remains again in critical condition. Jill, I was just watching an interview his uncle was doing with uh, CNN late on Tuesday, where he said that uh, Hamlin actually had to be resuscitated twice, uh, first on the field, and then again, as he got to the hospital. He also said that Hamlin, as of late Tuesday, remains on a ventilator on his stomach. Uh, they're effectively you know, trying to rest his brain uh, and really assess the damage. Uh, it's still too soon to say. I mean, the only detail we've really gotten is that he suffered some form of cardiac arrest, which we should say is not the same as a heart attack. Like a heart attack could cause cardiac arrest. Cardiac arrest is the abrupt loss of heart function. But there's a lot of speculation, of course. Uh, cardiologists, based on watching the video, based on the description, you know, you just stated, Jill, that he got down, got back up, and then collapsed, are speculating on what it could have been. One possibility here without obviously having access to his medical records is something called ventricular fibrillation. It's the rapid and disorganized contraction of the heart's lower chambers that disrupts normal pumping. So that process is uh, basically timed by electrical signals in your heart, and that could have been disrupted by the blow to the chest. And that's the general sense here. What Was he hit hard by the other player at just a really unfortunate moment. Uh, you might have seen the term thrown around called uh, commodio cortis. That is another disruption of the heart rhythm if you suffer a blow directly over the heart at a key time in the heartbeat cycle, literally a few milliseconds um, in your heartbeat cycle. It is pretty rare, but it does occur mostly in boys and young men during sports. It's the leading cause of deaths in youth baseball, actually, which uh, there are about two or three a year, unfortunately. So there's a lot of different circumstances here about when he might have been hit in the heart uh, as... Um, you know, again, all folks really have to go on are just the very general statements they've got from the hospital, uh, as well as uh, the videotape. The main worry, Jill, as you say, is the uh, how much brain damage could he have suffered because of the lack of oxygen uh, that takes place when the heart stops pumping blood? Uh, you know, how long did various uh, organs, including the brain, go without a proper oxygenated blood supply? And we're going to have to wait uh potentially days to really find that out. Uh, some of the doctors who've been quoted on this say, this is what they tell families when it, it comes to this sort of thing, that this is a marathon, not a sprint in terms of recovery. Meanwhile, fans raised more than $5 million for Damar Hamlin's Chasing M Foundation. He started that charity back in 2020, shortly before he was picked in the sixth round of the NFL draft. He wrote on a GoFundMe page, quote, as I embark on my journey to the NFL, I will never forget where I come from, and I am committed to using my platform to positively impact the community that raised me. That foundation was looking to raise money to buy toys for kids that were affected by the pandemic in his hometown in Pennsylvania. 
Now, before Monday night, the foundation had raised about $2,900, uh, which is more than its goal, was, which was $2,500. But as of early Tuesday afternoon, the fundraiser topped over $5 million in donations with more than 151,000 individual gifts. Yeah, we'll link to the uh, GoFundMe on the Instagram. It's, it's really been remarkable. There's also photos uh, and video that's come out, Jill, after the game of Bengals fans and Bills fans all praying together, uh, wishing him well. It really is a productive way for uh, fans and, and really anyone who uh, cares about this to put their uh, thoughts and feelings and prayers towards something, a cause that was important to him. So that's really been remarkable to see uh, how much that is raised. Uh, ho- hopefully he's able to wake up soon and and be told uh, what what people have been able to accomplish. It was also remarkable just to see the players and their reaction and just how you know, visibly distressed they were and and just to see them comforting each other. And it's not surprising given the seriousness of his condition. At the same time, you're just not used to seeing that, you know, and 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 that yeah. was it kind of takes you a little bit back and and it does show the the real seriousness of of what happened. Um I don't know. I was really I was moved by just the reaction that they had, also the reaction of just the reporters. I kept watching this video um, online of Hamlin before the game, giving his mom a hug. His family was all there. So you can't help but just think about what what they're going through. Probably just the range of emotions going from just elation to watching their son and their loved one playing in, in a major NFL football game. You're probably so proud of them to just the worst nightmare thing that could ever happen. Yeah, and the thing about the NFL, there's no shortage of injuries, right, Joe? I mean, you you see sometimes some really rough injuries in that sport, but this really was something on a next level and really hit the players in a certain way where, you know, the players and the coaches uh, came out during that initial uh, suspension of the game to just say, we, we can't continue here. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the NFL ends up doing here when it comes to playing because the playoffs start in less than two weeks now. So getting in that game uh, might be very challenging for them. All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bowl & Branch Bedding & Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bowl & Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know. Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Okay, time now for the speed read from CNBC. Sam Bankman-Fried pleads not guilty to federal fraud charges in New York federal court Tuesday 
Um, He is charged with eight counts related to the collapse of his former crypto exchange, FTX, and also his hedge fund, Alameda Research. The one-time crypto billionaire was indicted on charges of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and securities fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy to avoid campaign finance regulations. Bankman-Fried arrived outside of the courthouse in a black SUV. He was swarmed with cameras from the moment his car arrived. The scrum grew so thick that Bankman-Fried's mother was unable to exit the vehicle, falling onto the wet pavement as cameras scrambled to catch a glimpse of her son. Bankman Freed was hauled by security through the throng and into the courthouse in a matter of moments with photographers scrambling to get out of the way. Quite a dramatic scene there uh, in lower Manhattan. Uh, a reminder, Bankman Freed was returned to the U.S. from the Bahamas, where he was initially arrested and put in jail back in December 21st. The next day he was released. This is just before Christmas on a $250 million recognizance bond. Uh, So he's effectively living with his parents, uh, and his parents basically put their home on the line and a whole bunch of other stuff uh, to get this $250 million bond. But what's really interesting, Jill, is that attorneys for Bankman Freed filed a motion earlier on Tuesday to seal the names of the two individuals who guaranteed his good behavior with the bond. So there's the parents, the house, and then two anonymous individuals who were part of this guarantee. So they claimed that the visibility of the case and the defendant had posed George a risk. Santos? Is he one of them? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We do know that Santos has money, but that would be an interesting connection. But what's interesting here is that the attorneys say that there's already a risk posed to Bankman Freed's parents and that these two individuals, these guarantors, should not be subject to the same scrutiny. The judge agreed to approve the motion. So the mystery of who the two other guarantors are of the uh, SBF bond continues. So that's an interesting Hmm. uh, thread to follow. Uh, The conspiracy theorists out there have no shortage of theories on this, but uh, we'll we'll see what comes of that. Uh, Separately and more seriously, federal prosecutors did announce uh, this week the launch of a new task force to recover victim assets as part of the investigation into Bankman Freed, the collapse of FTX. You know, we know that a bunch of people lost millions of dollars um, in this including some individuals we've talked about on previous podcasts, you know, or a recollection, you know, FTX was a $32 billion company that went down to zero in a matter of days. From Yahoo News, the suspect arrested in connection with the killing of four University of Idaho students waived an extradition hearing in Pennsylvania Tuesday and will be brought to Idaho to face murder charges. Appearing before a judge in Monroe County, Pennsylvania, the suspect, Brian Koberger, waived extradition so the case can be expedited and he can be transported to Idaho to face the murder charges there. He mouthed the words, I love you, to members of his family as he was escorted out of the courthouse. Koberger, that 28-year-old PhD student and teaching assistant in the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology at Washington State University, had just finished his first semester on the school's campus in Pullman, about a 15-minute drive west of Moscow, Idaho, where those murders took place. Yeah, so the judge in Pennsylvania has ordered Koberger to be sent to Idaho within 10 days. Koberger's public defender said, you know, he does want to go back to Idaho to prove his innocence. Uh, So we'll see what comes of all that. Uh, We're still awaiting details here on the case they're going to be making against Koberger. He was arrested uh, Friday at his parents' home in Pennsylvania. The police in Idaho say they had a probable cause affidavit outlining their evidence. It will be unsealed when he eventually gets to Idaho. That's where the university is, of course. The police have said he is the sole person responsible for the killings, and uh, there is no continuing danger to the public. So there's a lot more we need to learn uh, about their case and what took place here. 
from Fox Business, Duke Energy issued an apology to customers and regulators taking responsibility for rolling blackouts on Christmas Eve that left hundreds of thousands of customers without power. Company representatives appeared before the North Carolina Utilities Commission to spell out what led to outages that impacted about 500,000 households and businesses in the Carolinas after freezing temperatures sparked a surge in demand. Duke cut power to homes and businesses the day before Christmas as frigid weather sent demand surging by as much as 10% above forecasts while instruments froze at coal and natural gas-fired plants, forcing them to cut output. What's notable here, Jill, and one of the reasons um, we're doing this in the podcast is the officials for Duke Energy said that the strain in the Carolinas actually threatened to throw the flow of power off balance for the entire grid of the East Coast, going from Maine to Oklahoma, actually. It actually required Duke to institute outages in its own system to protect the grid at large. That's the argument they were making, that they basically had to cut off power in the Carolinas to basically protect uh, half the country. Uh, The head of transmission for Duke said that if that didn't work, the stability of the entire system would have been at risk uh, going into Christmas. And so what they were trying to do is prevent the largest grid operator, which handles most of the East Coast, from having to go to rotating outages across uh, the East Coast going into the Midwest. And so what's notable here is how close we may have come to just, you know, power outages across the country on Christmas. Uh, so we lost power at my house a couple weeks ago. It was when the bomb cyclone was moving in and the temperatures were dropping like 40 degrees in a few hours. And for us, we had the best possible scenario. So the power was only out for a couple of hours. We were at my in-laws at the time for dinner. So we just slept there. But it just showed how much we take for granted things like having power and electricity and heat. Because the weather was in the teens, okay, had we not had somewhere to go, it would have been dangerous to be home if the power was out for a a substantial amount of time. And it just shows, you know, how vulnerable these systems are. Um, You know, like one thing happens in North Carolina, just say, and then all of a sudden the entire East Coast would go out. Yeah, that was a huge issue in uh, Buffalo, Jill, as, uh, you know, people there were dealing with the storms uh, over Christmas. And the power outages were significant because you're talking about literally negative temps and if you're not able to stay warm, uh, you know, cold temps are, are a leading cause of death for people. Uh, and, and so it really does reinforce the need for some of these vulnerable electrical grids uh, to modernize, uh, to improve, and to just take into account that because of climate change, because of these extreme temps we're seeing everywhere, that uh, regions that are not accustomed, you know, like Texas and others, they're not accustomed to these freezing temps are now seeing them relatively often. And so the grids have to prepare for extreme heat in the summer and extreme cold uh, in the winter, no matter where you are. Well, speaking of extreme weather from the BBC, temperatures for January have reached an all-time high in a number of nations across Europe. Warsaw, Poland had 66 degrees Fahrenheit for their temperature on Sunday, while Bilbao, Spain, 78 degrees. Moshe, that's their typical average temperature for July. Uh, National records have fallen in eight countries, regional records in another three. Temperatures in the Netherlands, Lithuania, Latvia, Czech Republic, Poland, Denmark, Belarus, all broke national records. Station records are broken in Germany, France, and Ukraine. Uh, Records are broken all the time, but it is unusual for the difference to be more than a few tenths of a degree. Um, You know, in this case, it's several degrees. 
Yeah, yeah, the records are being broken by a lot. Uh, Jill, in Switzerland, you might be seeing images on social media. Temperatures have hit the high 60s in January. The warm weather, of course, affecting the ski resorts across the Swiss Alps, complete lack of snow uh, in France, uh, in Switzerland, and and uh, Italy there. It's not all warm in Europe, though. There are some colder temperatures and snow forecasts in parts of Scandinavia and Moscow, Russia, expected actually to go down under zero by the weekend. What's interesting is if you look at kind of the global look, the polar vortex that typically sticks around the Arctic, when it dips in North America, where we saw the freezing temps here, that basically opens space for heat to fill in in Europe. You know, you're talking about a global climate system. So you're seeing these wacky trends. So sometimes when we're getting super cold, they're getting super hot in Europe, vice versa. So uh, that's, you know, part of what scientists are studying, trying to figure out uh, to what extent climate change is impacting this. Uh, and and really looking at, uh, you know, these global extremes that we're seeing and fair warning to the Californians to be watching that atmospheric river that is going to be hitting today at parts. It could be as strong as a Category 3 hurricane, given its wind, uh, damaging storms, etc. So uh, be on alert today in California, Southern California, you're going to see some rain. Northern California, major winds, uh, rain and then snow up in the in the mountains uh, over the next 24 hours. From the Daily Beast, Benedict Cumberbatch's family could face reparations fight in Barbados. The Oscar-nominated actor Benedict Cumberbatch has come under a magnifying glass by the Barbados government. The 12 years a slave actor and his family may be facing a financial squeeze from Barbados in the coming months as government officials are beginning to seek reparations from former plantation-owning families after officially becoming a republic in 2021, breaking 396 years of the British monarchy's control over the island. Barbados government officials have started to seek reparations from the descendants of one-time slave-owning families and plantation holders. Cumberbatch's seventh great-grandfather bought one of the country's plantations on the north side of the island in 1728 and held ownership of it until slavery was abolished in Barbados in 1834. That plantation is said to have been home to 250 enslaved people and has been the source of the Cumberbatch family's small fortune. Yeah, this is a fascinating story. Um, I, I found it in my Twitter feed on Tuesday, Jill. And I just think it's fascinating how these various governments are uh, managing this sort of thing. So last month, the Barbados government announced its plans to pursue reparations from a conservative member of the British Parliament named Richard Drax. He apparently inherited the island's largest plantation. Again, this goes back a couple centuries. The parliamentarian didn't do this, but he inherited what his family had a couple hundred years ago. So that plantation on the island is actually the only plantation that remains within his family uh, from its original owners. The Barbados officials have been putting heat on that British parliamentarian to hand back the land to the government. If he says no, Barbados will push for compensation. And if they then win in court, it will set a precedent allowing the government to seek reparations from other wealthy descendants of enslavers like Cumberbatch. So there's been a lot of reporting in the UK newspapers about this, that the uh, Cumberbatch family, which, of course, doesn't own any land going back almost 200 years now, but they were paid about $1 million in current money when slavery was abolished. And what's interesting is the Cumberbatch family has clearly been aware of this. Apparently, he, in an interview, revealed that his mother advised him a while ago not to use his real name for fear of eventual reparation claims. Uh, he has suggested in the past that he actually took on his role as the plantation owner in that film, 12 Years a Slave, in part to atone for his family's past. So this will be something really interesting to, to see how it unfolds. 
From Bloomberg News, Shopify is conducting a calendar purge, removing all recurring events with more than two people in perpetuity as it encourages employees to avoid useless meetings. So clear as em- those schedules, <laughs> clear them. As employees return from holiday break, they're also re-upping a rule that no meetings at all can be held on Wednesdays. Big meetings of more than 50 people will get shoehorned into a six-hour window on Thursdays with a limit of one per week. The company's leaders will also encourage workers to decline other meetings and remove themselves from large internal chat groups. The CEO said in an emailed statement, the best thing founders can do is subtraction. It is much easier to add things than to remove things. So all Shopify employees who listen to us today know that you should not be having any meetings or any regular meetings. What's interesting, Jill, is that Shopify said that a bot will serve as the policies enforcer. Apparently, they've like programmed a bot here that will remind all meeting or- organizers of the new rules starting tomorrow. And they're not alone here. Large, long, unproductive meetings have become the scourge of our hybrid workplace these days between all the Zoom meetings, etc. So a bunch of companies have been trying to curtail them. Uh, the F- Facebook parent company, Meta, uh, Clorox, the tech firm Twilio are among the companies that have instituted no meeting days. Employees spend about 18 hours a week on average in meetings. So that's about, what is that? Almost two full days of work. Uh, just in meetings, according to a survey last year. Uh, and according to that survey, we only typically declined 14% of the invites, even though we'd prefer to back, and this is very specific, we prefer to be backing out of 31% of meetings. So basically, <laughs> one out of three meetings we want to decline, we only end up declining about one out of six meetings. Um, and this survey also found that reluctantly going to non-critical meetings wastes about $100 million a year at big organizations. So this is a big deal, all these wasteful meetings. Uh, and, you know, I, Shopify is taking this very seriously. No meetings on Wednesdays, re- re- you know, eliminating all recurring events. Though so you can imagine, you know, I feel like I've been in, you know, maybe it's the newsroom and the media world, but like we needed to have kind of daily stand-up meetings. So it's, it's interesting that Shopify is taking this tack and, and maybe it'll work in some industries more than others. I feel like news is such a different animal. You know, I, mm-hmm. I feel like we don't fully appreciate how annoying meetings are <laughs> per se, <laughs> because I do yeah. think that especially with Zoom, it's just you think, oh, I'll invite, you know, uh, why not just invite this person to the meeting, right? And then they might feel obligated to go, even though if you're setting a meeting, you're just like trying to, you know, cast a wide net because maybe there's th- people who might want to come for whatever reason. I tend to think that Zoom, okay, has actually made the meeting situation a lot worse. Um, yeah. Just because it's so easy to just invite people who maybe don't need to be at the meeting uh, invite them to the meeting. And sometimes you're trying to be inclusive and you're like, hey, come to the meeting. I, you know, I, one big issue for me in meetings is like ending the meeting with deliverables and decisions because sometimes you go through the whole meeting and no decision will be made. So, you know, it's, it's also how the meeting is conducted. Does the meeting have an agenda? And like, what are the results of the meeting? But go Shopify, you know, uh, trying to make things more efficient for their employees. And I imagine it, it sounds like this is going to become a more popular trend. Most meetings, I feel like, can be resolved in like um, in one or two conversations on Slack. Jill, we teased the story at the beginning. Uh, this is probably our most fun story of the day. And you're probably going to hear a few words here that are often used in some of those terrible meetings that you're in. So <laughs> Lake Superior State University apparently puts together an annual list going back 
uh, more than 40 years now. It's a Michigan-based university and basically puts together an annual list of the 10 most overused uh, words and phrases that people should eliminate from their vocabulary. So Jill, they had a whole bunch of nominees. They've put together the list of the 10 words and expressions that we should all be eliminating in 2023. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so phrase number one, GOAT, greatest of all time. Lake Superior State University believes we should all be retiring that phrase. I like GOAT. I I, I feel like I just Pro started goat. to like it. Yeah, I used to hate it. Now I'm, now I'm into it. Uh, Jill is late to the GOAT party. She wants to keep GOAT. <laughs> <Very>. okay. <laughs> okay, word number two, inflection point. Nah, overused. Cliche. Overused. Yeah. We've reached an inflection point. We may have reached an inflection point. Okay. Phrase number three. This is a new phrase, but they've decided this should already be eliminated. Quiet quitting. Mosh, I am so with them. I think quiet quitting is totally overused. It really is just people who are doing like the bare minimum at work. And that has always existed. I don't think it is this new trend from the pandemic. Yes. Exactly. It's a new expression for something that's always existed. Okay. We're in agreement on that. Gaslighting. So gaslighting was Merriam-Webster's word of the year, if you remember, and in part mm-hmm. because so many people were looking it up, which which I think proves that perhaps it is being overused. So then there's a couple expressions that have been around for a while. I don't see them going anywhere. It is what it is. Does that make sense? And moving forward. I love it. It is what it is. I feel like I've been using that forever. I think, does that make sense? I, I'm totally ready to move forward with that. Oh. <laughs> I just used to them. Oh, she's guilty. She's guilty. <laughs> moving forward. Oh moving. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with moving forward, but um, you know, I guess it's a transition phrase that the good folks at Lake Superior State University have decided we're over. And then they have three final words on the list: amazing, irregardless, and absolutely. I always heard that irregardless was like a Philly thing because it means the same as regardless. Like, so why do you say irregardless if you know it's just an extra um syllable effectively but so anyway folks goat inflection point quiet quitting gaslighting moving forward amazing does that make sense irregardless absolutely it is what it is those are the 10 phrases and words to retire in 2023 yeah the university says its tongue-in-cheek list is intended to support excellence in language by encouraging avoidance of words and terms that are overworked this is according to the press release The university received more than 1,500 nominations before deciding on those 10 words that they wanted to banish in 2023. All right, before we go on this day, let's break on through to the other side. 56 years ago today, The Doors released their debut album on January 4th, 1967. With that hit, break on through to the other side and light my fire. Unfortunately, they only had a couple of years there uh, because, of course, Jim Morrison would only die four years later at uh, the young age of 27. But uh, The Doors, really uh, incredible, incredible album. One other piece of music news, the Eurythmics, uh, the duo that included Annie Lennox, released their second studio album, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, 40 years ago today, Jill. That, that song turns 40. Okay, I thought it was Sweet Dreams Are Made of These. Um, but I'll give oh. it a whirl. Sweet dreams are made of these. Okay, these. I thought it was these. Who am I to disagree? I travel the world and the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. She got it, everybody. She got it. She got the first. <laughs> Some I'll of them want to get used. You. Some of them want to use you. Some of them want to get used by you. So um, I agree with you. I thought it was these two. I didn't know it was this. 
but maybe just the way the the music works. Anyway, um, all right, so that's Eurythmics. And then one piece of TV history, just because I was sort of a latchkey kid growing up and watched a lot of this, Night Court, with one of the greatest theme songs in uh, TV history, uh, premiered on this day 39 years ago on NBC. And interestingly, Jill, they're bringing it back. John Larroquette is back with a new Night Court uh, coming up later. I'm not doing this as an ad for NBC or anything, but apparently they are. They're bringing Night Court back because there's no new ideas anymore. Uh, so that's apparently coming back later this month. Wait, do the um, theme song because it's, uh, it's not like... It's with Harry Anderson as the judge. Anyway, great, great cast, great group of characters. And then I would find out, you know, moved to New York uh, at some point in my life about 12 years ago to find out there was a night court back in the day. And I think there still is a night court. Um, you know, it was based on a real thing, but they put together a, a little comedy uh, crime show, court show based on it. So. Who knew, Mosh? Very interesting. Yeah, I, I have a lot of random 80s TV history. At some point, I'll be looking for an On This Day related to Perfect Strangers, uh, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, my God, I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> Balky? Elf, Elf, Small Wonder. I got a lot of these shows from the 80s. I hope everyone appreciates it. Um, okay, on that note, we do want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Appreciate all of you who are starting 2023 with us. Hope we can help you get through the week. Uh, we will uh, continue to watch all the antics on Capitol Hill today on the Instagram feed. We'll see what takes place there. If we're going to have a speaker of the house, if we're not. So you can catch all that over on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And we'll see everyone back here on this podcast tomorrow. Bye. Bye.